Hey guys, quick disclaimer on this episode. Uh, we realize this is not the best audio quality and I sincerely apologize to you for that. Um, I was traveling when we recorded this. We tried a new method. Uh, that method failed. We did do a backup. This is the backup recording. And as you'll be able to hear, there's, there's some background noise and uh, the volumes aren't where we want them to be. We've actually had four different audio engineers do the best that they can with this. Uh, so again, I apologize. We all apologize. The content here is amazing. I, I hope that this audio quality does not detract from what's inside this in terms of content and, and your experience with this podcast. So that being said, please enjoy this one and uh, take it away, Jamie. These are our bot tabs. This is online streaming pornography. This is our stupid social media addictions. This is the $2.2 trillion we're spending on psychiatric medicines and illicit pharmaceuticals. I mean, the number of times between everywhere from you know, Necker Island to South by Southwest to Ted, Davos to Birmingham, you're like to the UN, you're like, wait a second, this is just a tidy little circuit where there's probably 10,000 to 20,000 of the world's elite movers and shakers who are on this global circuit through the year and they see each other at all these places and they're all initiates into what you could call sort of a modern day elusive. You know, because the endless wanking about which stack I'm going to do and do you like Siltec or do you like this or that or I'm on ProVigil or whatever. It's like, shut the fuck up and get back to living. Because ultimately, none of this stuff matters a damn. And you're all just being sold a lot of really expensive supplements by an entire complicit industry that is just flogging the promise of optimization and shortcuts. And there are no fucking shortcuts. Being a human being is a son of a bitch and it requires guts and balls and backbone. You are listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on building optimal mental and physical performance into your life, visit naturalstacks.com. All right, happy Thursday, all you optimizers. Welcome to another episode of the OPP. If you're watching this one on video, you can see I am not in the normal background. I am in a cubicle at WeWork in Austin, Texas, and the cubicle is to give us a little bit of privacy and increase audio quality a little bit for you guys. Really, really amazing episode for you guys today. I'm so excited to do this. Our guest is Jamie Wheel, co-author of one of my absolute favorite books of all time, The Rise of Superman, a book that he wrote with Stephen Kotler on flow states and extreme and action sports athletes. Uh, it's a book that we've referenced many times on this podcast. Um, but Jamie and Stephen have actually teamed up again, and their new book is called Stealing Fire. And it's a look at the $4 trillion industry 
that is altered states. This, these things that we do to get outside of our head, to change our perspective, and come back with a wider view of the world, the universe, our reality. Um, you know, these things run the gamut from nootropics to psychedelics to they've even lumped gambling and porn and all sorts of things that we may not have expected into this industry of altered states. So we're going to really dig in. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the, the book and, and all the cool things that Jamie has to offer for us. So uh, I know you guys are going to enjoy this episode. A couple of housekeeping notes before we get started with Jamie. Number one, as always, Go to naturalstacks.com. You'll be able to see the video version for this podcast along with uh, the numerous links and resources that we're going to get from Jamie today. And uh, of course, make sure you guys go to iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. Um, if we read your review on the air, we will hook you up with free product. And we would love to have your review on iTunes. It really helps us. It really helps the show get uh, traction and, and get uh, eyeballs on iTunes. So this is another way that you can help us reach more people. Um, and that's why we're going to hook you up with free product if we read your review on the air, which we will do if you leave us one. Uh, I'm going to read you two right now. Great guests, great content, five stars from Will F. Three Ebert. Ryan and the team at the OPP bring knowledge, new knowledge every week. If you're a fan of Bulletproof Radio, Ben Greenfield Fitness, or Fat Burning Man, then this podcast is for you. A lot of biohacker knowledge with a good mix of content that will both maximize your body and your mind. Awesome job. So Will F3 Ebert, thank you so much for uh, that review. Email me, Ryan at naturalstacks.com. We'll hook you up with free product. One more from Iron Walker 1110 Great podcast, five stars. Love that you had James Broderick on the podcast, Ryan. I believe that a huge part of biohacking is approaching our health from the ancestral perspective. We can take all the supplements in the world and use all the high-tech biohacking gadgets, but they will never replace things like sun, good food and water, and of course, exposure to nature. Good job, bro. Uh, that's from Chris J. So Chris, shoot me an email, uh, ryan at naturalstacks.com. We'll hook you guys both up. Thank you for those reviews. And finally, again, if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast or the OPP itself, please share it with the, the people in your life who you know will benefit from the things that we're doing here. Um, you know, that's how we help more people, and that's what this is all about. Uh, th this knowledge, this content, this, this stuff that we're sharing to, to try to make ourselves better humans, uh, it's, it's not valuable if we don't get it in the hands of other people and then we act on it. So I'm going to stop talking now. Let's kick it off with Jamie. Uh, I really, I'm really excited about this. Hope you guys enjoy this one. Ryan Muncy is probably the smartest guy I know. Trust me, Muncy is the nutrition guy. Ryan Muncy's out there trying to make the world better for all of us. The Optimal Performance Podcast is bold, edgy, creative, entertaining, and epic. Ryan Muncy is my go-to guy. Ryan Muncy is the first guy I call. He's making people's lives better. Ryan Muncy's an innovator. Jamie, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Uh, we are so excited to have you here. Thanks for your time. I know you're really busy during this book launch. So I guess a little bit of a backstory for our listeners. You know, we, we first met you guys at the biohacking conference a few years ago when you guys had the, uh, the flow set up um, and uh, you guys had some cool toys there. You guys book, you and Stephen co-wrote uh, Rise of Superman. I've already told everybody how much uh, I love that book. We, we reference it on the podcast all the time. So um, talk to us a little bit about, you know, kind of how you guys went from Rise of Superman to 
writing this book, Stealing Fire, and, and what is your goal with this uh, this new book? You know, the, the Flow Genome Project, which is uh, you know the organization um, that we do our work with, research, and training with, um, was based on flow states as a non ordinary state of consciousness that was that most people would wrap their heads and it has very clean body of academic research, solid neuroscience, and it didn't involve you know, particularly controversial mechanisms of induction. So that was our sort of PG-13, it's going to be the Apple store of non-motor state hacking and, and performance. Um, the reality is, is that what was happening as we were sharing that information and sharing training with the world, we realized, okay, most people are hacking in additional ways, whether that's through Intensive meditations, I mean, everything from Wim Hof and ice baths and breathing to, you know, coffee, you know, butter, you know, bulletproof coffee and neurotrophic stacks to off prescription pharmaceuticals like provisional to microdosing to you know, sexual meditation to Burning Man to EDM festivals to, you know, like the whole gym. Mm-hmm. And we realized, okay, you know, two extreme sports and everything else. I mean, probably a week. And so we're like, okay, well, you know, people who continue to ask us, well, I'm doing this, is that flow? I'm doing that, is this flow? And, you know, we, we were faced with this thing, either you stretch the category beyond all recognition to the point where none of the academic researchers, Chisan Mihai, uh, Seligman, and any of the others would sort of acknowledge it's still the valid category they had established, or we had to create a bigger tent. And so the bigger tent was very much like, well, now what do we call these things? With altered states has definitive connotations out of the kind of hippie baby boomer era, non-ordinary states of consciousness is probably technically one of my, one I'm most comfortable with, but it's an alpha mm-hmm. and not, not very descriptive. So we had to kind of wind back the clock all the way to the ancient Greeks and blood art and like, okay, ecstasis is the antecedent for the word ecstasy, mm-hmm. um, which beyond club drugs and anything else is literally means to stand outside oneself. And we thought, okay, well, since we know that selflessness, the experience of the inner, inner narrator, you know, executive function shutting down is one of the, uh, the sort of defining and most visible or, or, or perceivable qualities of a lot of these experiences, let's call it ecstasis. And under that tent, let's fit flow states as we work, you know, d- discuss them and describe them and train them in our organization and write about that Superman, um, but also meditative and mystical states and not just sitting on the cushion ones, but again, you know, ice ice baths and, and Wim Hof kind of breathing all the way to smart tech, all the way to VR and AR, um, you know, that whole spectrum. And then also psychedelic state, because any serious inquiry of non-ordinary states of consciousness requires that you address pharmacological priming and the renaissance and research over the last five to 10 years that everywhere from NYU to Hopkins to Oxford um, and, and UCLA um, is producing some of the more interesting findings on the nature of mind and the nature of concrete. So that was really the point. The point was to say, hey, uh, there is this underground revolution going on. Nobody's talking about it. Um, it is absolutely massive. It seems like the best kept secret out there. And, and so the intention of the book is, A, to kind of blow the lid off that and actually name it connect the thoughts for people and on a more personal level and this is you know we've been kind of getting overwhelmed with feedback very much i mean this was our intent but we've been getting the feedback organically which is super gratifying which is um, people like oh my god you've explained my life yeah every single goddamn this 20 years i was conflicted i was ambivalent i was filled with guilt or shame or my wife or my partner or my family told me i gotta grow up or get over it or stop doing this shit and you've actually said here's why and, and here and here's why it matters and here's why it actually is legit. And in fact, here's why all of my instincts and intuitions um, are actually validated 
and paid off. So as much as anything else, man, we're giving permission for ecstatics to come out of the closet. Well, that's the next line of questioning I want to go down is, is um, but before we do that, you mentioned the ancient Greeks. There's a, there's a fabulous story in the beginning of the book. Kaikeion, uh, am I saying that right? Okay. So I don't, I don't want to give away that story now. You, you guys definitely go check out the book, Stealing Fire, and, and you will hear a really cool story about how, you know, what we're talking about is not something new. It's been happening from, you know, yeah. as far back as we have recorded history. I mean, humans, I think we are wired to pursue, you know, enhanced cognitive performance and, and peak performance and all this stuff. And, and, you know, in the book, you guys, you, you, you tell that story and it's, it's a great story. So, so definitely check that out in the book, but you know, you're talking about, you know, pushing this mainstream and that's something that, that we're really, really fascinated with, but something else you guys talk about in the book are, are pales. And it sounds like, you know, that's a, that's a great topic to bring up right now because a lot of this pursuit of an altered state for, peak performance, this, this ecstasis is outside of our pales. Talk a little bit about what that means, because uh, I'm sure you can explain it much better than I can. And, you know, how do we bring it inside the pales? How do we get it mainstream? How do we move, you know, get the average person to kind of accept these things so that, you know, what you're talking about maybe isn't R-rated? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think the simplest is, you know, and just to, just to back it up a sec, I mean, when we started doing the research, we said, well, how big, how big is this movement? And, and you know, fun, and funnily enough, like that biohacking conference wasn't a bad place to check it out. You had sort of like yoked crossfitters, you know, who were doing all the stacking. And then you had like the one taste orgasmic meditation. Well, then you had all the smart tech people. You got paleo folks that are like coming out of the woods to come to this trade show booth. And, you know, and then, you know, we go straight up to Google a month later and, you know, the, the engineers are like, hey, psst, you know, actually, never mind. I'm not going to tell that story the name, but um, let's just say Silicon Valley. It's in the book. But no, we don't know. We don't connect these particular. Okay. Okay. But let's just say lots of engineers in Silicon Valley whose teams are microdosing psychedelics. And you're like, now wait, none of these people would, would notice each other in the street. You know, the hospital would just like pop, you know, push past the tech nerd and the orgasmic meditator would be all up in their business and wouldn't even be paying attention to, you know, all the other folks. And yet they're all doing the same thing. They're going in through different doors. And so when we finally tracked down, we were like, well, let's just track money and let's see how much is there. And it turned out to be a four trillion dollar economy, which is a quarter of the U.S. GDP. It's only it's only a trillion dollars less funny sentence to say, but it's only a trillion dollars less than the entire defense budget for two wars for the longest period of U.S. history in Iraq and Afghanistan. Like, we spend that much every year just trying to get out of the mm-hmm. So, that and, and that, and those are super conservative numbers. We are inviting researchers to come back and actually do, like, inflation adjusted and, you know, mm-hmm. U.S. versus global and all these other kind of things. So, that number will go up as more people put, put some sharp pencils to it. And so we're like, wait a second, this is bizarre. Four trillion dollars just not just go missing. <laughs> right. Why isn't this on the cover of Time magazine? Why isn't everybody talking about it? And, and the, you know, the fairly straightforward conclusion is it's happening outside the perimeter fence of polite society. Right? This is this is our these are our bar tabs. This is online streaming pornography. This is our stupid social media addictions. This is the $2.2 trillion we're spending on psychiatric medicines and illicit pharmaceuticals, right? This is the opioid and Oxycontin epidemic, right? This is, this is all of it. And once you bundle it together, you're like, okay, it's, it lives outside that fence. 
and basically, and you know, what we would call the, the old phrase, beyond the pale, right? Just to, there's something to be beyond the pale or the, the fences of the town or civilization meant it was dangerous, it was risky, it was subject to ridicule or persecution. And there's really three, um, three sort of stakes in that pale. There's the pale of the church, right? Which is basically saying, if you experience these states of ecstasis, it's immoral, potentially, or heretical. Right? And we will prosecute you. Like our original founder had some epiphany. That was fine. But the moment we lock it down and codify it over time, you don't get to have another. So St. John of the Cross, Hildegard von Bingen, Dragula, you know, Joan of Arc, all these, all these medieval and, you know, and later mystics with even Christian tradition, they're like, oh my gosh, I felt God, I saw God, I saw God, God's in me. And they're like, oh no, no, it's not. <laughs> right? And you're going to pay for it. So the first one is the pale of the church and the idea that a priest class, right, has always carefully modulated access to these states and techniques. They're usually used for social bonding, for control, just a glimpse, but not enough. And you come back every Sunday and put, you know, put your put your budget. Right? So pale of the church is number one. Pale of the body. Well, I'll, I'll do pale of the states. That's that's the more straight ahead one, which is just there are state sanctioned states of consciousness. There are those we support and endorse, and there are those we vilify. And you know, and, and they don't bear any resemblance to public health objective research. So for instance, you know, when Dr. David Nutt in the United Kingdom, Commission on Drug Harm, stack ranked the 20 most common and you know, potentially harmful substances out there. You know, alcohol was number one. It beat out heroin. You know, and yet every boss picks up the tab for happy hour. And that's considered right an essential part of, of our working economy. Tobacco was number six. It was two spots ahead of marijuana. You know, ecstasy was like number 17. Mushrooms and LSD, the whole poor boy thought he could fly and jump out a window stuff is 19 and he, not even not, lost his job after publishing this. Right? He published it. He, the results were so bomber, they got published in The Lancet, right? one of the right. medical journals in the world. And he lost his job because he violated, because, you know, the, the headlines said, you know, minister, health minister declares, right, LSD is safer than alcohol. And, and of course, you know, Parliament lost their mind. Right. And point being that that's outside of state sanction, you know, Pales and you know, even though the science was valid, that wasn't kind of what fit in with state-sanctioned, you know, uh, ways of conducting your life. Yeah, and I mean, even take you know, even take a super specific granular example, which is you know, Ritalin and ADD, meds, <laughs> Ritalin and Adderall versus crystal meth. Mm-hmm. One methyl group compounds different, but just that, that basically allows crystal meth to hit a little harder, kind of like mm-hmm. a crack and, and straight up cocaine, mm-hmm. right? But Ritalin is prescribed to 4 million U.S. children a year, 1.2 million folks with treatment. <laughs> and one is trailer, you know, cooked up in trailers in the woods and sold to you know, toothless bastards in, in dirt poor rural areas, and the other is like handed out to mommies, mommies and their children strapped into their ball of suitcase. Yeah, this makes no sense. <laughs> objective purpose standpoint on you know, chemical interactions, drug plants, et cetera. Yeah, you guys, this this is all in the book, and it was fascinating to hear, you know, four times uh, the amount of Ritalin and Adderall compared to, to crystal meth. Uh, that's that's just, it's mind-blowing. So, well, I mean, yeah, to be clear, right, we are raising generations of children who are developmentally, neurologically wiring their brains together. Right. Formative errors, 
high as coons on amphetamines. Just because they'll sit stay they'll sit still a little longer and duller than the in the closet in their gym. You're like, wow, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um I guess that that was a surprise to me. It was a surprise to learn about this this guy Nut. I mean, what was the biggest surprise or revelation for you as you guys put together this book? I mean, I think I mean there, there were several. I mean, one was the one I just shared that idea of like like for instance, you know, using that bulletproof conference as an example, but just that idea of holy shit, man, these people would never recognize each other mm -hmm. in the street, but they're all part of the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's just fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, so that was that was one of them. Another was working with the Navy and seeing uh, float tanks being used by the Special Operations Community and, and knowing the story of float tanks. If anybody has, has seen the movie Altered State, it's all about the story of Dr. John Lilly, who you mentioned, he goes into great detail telling his, his life story in the book, that he was a University of Pennsylvania neuroscience researcher in the 50s and 60s NIH, total badass. Um, and then he went way the hell off the reservation into LSD and ketamine and developed this sensory deprivation tank which Joe Rogan and everybody else has been popularizing these days and let's go float in pitch black darkness and see what happens. Right? Well, Lily went for it. Right? And so those float tanks were really, there were probably only less than half a dozen of them left rattling around this country. Rusty mop holes in some old hippies basement someplace. Right? That was it. It all been decommissioned. And then we see them in the center of the military industrial complex. And you're like, oh my God. So, if you know, people who have read the story of the 60s and read stories about MK Ultra and all this kind of stuff, and CIA and, you know, and, and brainwashing and mind control and psychedelic research and psyops and all this kind of stuff, you're like, oh yeah, that was back then, those crazy kids, you know, but to realize, oh wow, this is still going on. And it's kind of what we described as, you know, like the spooks, the troops. Yeah. You've got the intelligence community always pushing all the states of consciousness and researching them. And then you've got the kooks of the counterculture, right? Always either inventing their own stuff or just getting lucky, like in easy at Stanford, you know, smuggling out Sandoz LSD and turning on Grateful Dead and the entire West Coast psychedelic and Silicon Valley culture. So it kind of was, it's, like, it's almost like this game of like greased watermelon. It's literally like, it, it, it's almost comical how every decade it goes back and forth, back and forth between the spooks and the kooks and who's going to control, who's going to control the watermelon. And so that, that to me is another one of sort of really just fascinating insights and the fact that that stuff even continues to show up in Happy Grave, the whole, you know, using, using Metallica, using Bonnie, the I Love You song, all those things sprang from the 1970s, uh, such Italian stuff, if anybody's read My New Stereo Goats or watched that movie, kind of comes out of that era, but then it got repurposed in a rock. You know, mm -hmm. and then and then you've got Burning Man, you've got Pentagon officials leading one of the main camps and hijacking a spy satellite in the middle of Burning Man to go watch Katrina, the hurricane, watch the actual levees break as they've taken command on a on a rugged bomber laptop in the middle of crazy ass Burning Man to hijack spy satellites and turn them around and then go down and help to the actual credit. And then go to Afghanistan seven years later and start a Burner, a burning man bar based on open principles of open source information, gifting, right, and, and, those, and transparency, and basically gathered more intelligence in Jalalabad, which is the city closest to Tora Bora, where Bin Laden took it out the big decade earlier, and create a burner bar with open source research for NGOs. And of course, three letter agencies also wanted it too. They're like, man, this is the best shit we can get our hands on. Tell us what's going on in this place. So you have this wild ass intersection um, between 
between, again, the military intelligence communities, the far extreme countercultures, and then, you know, probably the third leg of that stool, I'd say, is also just the glitterati. I mean, the number of times between everywhere from, you know, Necker Island, South by Southwest, Ted, Davos, to Burning Man, you're like, to the UN, you're like, wait a second, this is just a tidy little circuit where there's probably 10,000 to 20,000 of the world's elite movers and shakers who are on this global circuit through the year, and they see each other at all these places, and they're all initiates into what you could call sort of a modern-day elusive. You know, and, that, and, that, and, and ground zero for that is, you know, every August of bring. So I guess I think it's, it's fascinating to hear you talk about all the different cultures that are seeking the same thing, but maybe going through a different door to get there. Is... And, and, and we're also looking at how do we get this thing to come from outside the pale to inside the pale? Would a, a potential solution be to somehow get these different cultures, the, the yoked CrossFitter and the, the IT coder? Um, is there a way to, to get everybody to kind of understand, like, we're really not that different. We're all chasing the same thing. And, and, and if we're able to do that, would that be something that kind of makes these these pursuits more socially acceptable? Instead of being like outsiders, yeah, I mean, there's always going to be the prudes, the prudes, and the haters, you know. And there's going to be the people that this legitimately terrifies, um, and there's going to be people that it illegitimately terrifies. Because like, I just got a bunch of unchecked urban legends of prudes that just say no and grades, and I'm going to trot out those same things. Just sessions this week, right? I'm talking about, hey, we're going to clamp down on federal enforcement of marijuana because you need to get this. He's like, because of the opioid so so outrageous that we think it would be really irresponsible to even encourage that. You were like, wait a second. Look, every stat, every study. Yeah, there, there's a new study that just came out uh, like last week uh, from Harvard that dude. medical marijuana states have lower opioid addiction rates, have lower DUI rates. Have, mm-hmm. So yeah. they are the whole gateway drug thing. Especially just trotting out this like eighties chestnut mm-hmm. from the Nancy Reagan era, mm-hmm. and it's comes to make policy based on it. You're like, come on. Like get up to speed. Meanwhile, no one is going after the big pharma companies to push those pills to the point where in West Virginia there was 400 some counties. There were 400 tabs of oxycontin distributed for every man, woman, and child in the county in a given year. Now the DEA has checks and balances on on industrial strength painkillers. They know better. These big pharma companies know better than when a mom and pop pharmacy in the middle of bumfuck nowhere is ordering 10,000 of these a year and they're just cashing their checks, right? We yeah. ha- There's a social responsibility, but it doesn't come out that way because big pharma's next to, right, military contractors and you know, the energy companies own K Street. They own the lobbies in D.C. So you have a bunch of craven politicians who wring their hands of course it's also convenient. The opioid epidemic is white rural folks. So then it's not a social scourge, it's a, it's a mental health issue, you know, that's nice. But no one ever says, hey, you dumb bastard, you guys just made bank on this. And someone needs to take responsibility. So, so I think there's, before we can even get close to discussing, hey, how do we bring ecstasis? You know, how do we bring these non-ordinary states of consciousness and reintegrate them into our lives and work? Um, we actually have to just get clear on some of the basics of all the dysfunctional ways that substances are being used and how and, and, and what are the market mechanisms, what are the social judgments, what is the policies around, all of these things. 
and just get really clear because the number of people, I mean, we talked about the pale, which is the pale of the church and the pale of the state, but the final one is the pale of the body, which is the skin bag bias, which is which, you know, anything that I earn myself is valid, and anything that comes from outside, whether it's pharmacological or technological, is cheap or not a real deal. Right? And so, and so the number of people who say, I don't do drugs, and you're like, really? Let's just look at your medicine. Ambient, right? My kids are on Ritalin or Adderall. Mm-hmm. At least one spouse is on is, is, is on Prozac or Zoloft or something else. You know, you're, right. you're just to the gills. You have no idea where your center is. And and even and even to build on that, uh, drinking coffee or you know smoking cigarettes, pounding coffee, smoking cigarettes, and boozing our faces off is the only tool we have to shift states. And it's a blunt instrument. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't disclose much meaningful information. No one, I mean, when do you ever hear, like, I got hooked on opioids and then had this profound breakthrough in my life, you know, or alcohol. You know, like, oh, it was only after that fifth drink that things snapped into focus for me and I got true inspiration or healing or insight. No, I become an obnoxious, belligerent, puking, fall asleep on my face, drunk is what happens every time, <laughs> you know, and yet those are the social sanctions. And so, to your point about how do we bring this in, I mean, I think the research is there. Um, there is there are massive blind spots around what it does it attend because the, the simplest is what we would call the, I mean, you can call it a hundred things, but basically it leads to an agnostic gnosticism, right? It leads to a position where when you have non-ordinary experiences, they tend to convey information. The information is not mediated by a middleman; it's not someone telling you what to think. You're getting it straight from the information layer, and mm-hmm. you're drawing your own connection. In. And that tends to be a little, um, a little anti-establishment. It tends to be a little, a little threatening to existing power structures. And so, as more people wake up, grow up, and show up, as more people basically switch on and gain their own clarity, not about like here's the chapter and verse what you should believe. In fact, that kind of stuff is out the window. It's more this is what's deeply, radically true for me, and I'm going to act on it without hesitation or apology. Like that is the step. As a result, like that's you know that's both the revolution that's possible, um, and also the very thing that would prompt the next series of lockdown, clampdown, and suppression. Okay, um, there's a there's a lot there, and, and I'm trying to figure out you know do do I want to circle back and ask questions on that, or I've got so many things that I want to 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 go over with you. I think let's let's just say. First thought, best thought. Like, do ask the question that either mildly surprises or scares you or leaves you intrigued. Play that game. Let's play that game. Okay. Yeah. Well, and here's something else. I I know you guys have done a lot of PR for for this book launch, and um, you know you did some prior to. We're recording this about a week after the book is already launched. What's what's the the part of the book that you feel like has been most overlooked or that you haven't? talked about as much as you would like to have yeah i mean well, i think my answer for that is, is two different parts the, the most overlooked i think is the four trillion bucks man i mean like i assume that people would be losing their minds about that stuff it is so hit you over the head massive um but to me i in some respects i thought that might be kind of the tagline mm-hmm. the book ends up with. Well, and, and to build on that, I mean, you guys make the point in the book that that's, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's that's more than the GDP of, of some huge countries, right? Like Russia was one of them? Yeah, yeah. Russia, United Kingdom, Brazil, you name it, right? It's, it's mind-boggling. We, we spend more money on getting out of our own heads than those countries bring in in a single year. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. As I said, I mean, it's a quarter of the entire U.S. GDP. Yeah. Right. So, so these are the these are the questions. So, so to me, that's that's the surprising one. Okay. Um, but then also the one that I think I probably care about the most is is the idea that because people just get sucked into the ruts of cultural assumptions. They're like, oh, you guys are just advocating going out and getting twisted. Like, no, we're not. <laughs> what we're saying is develop cognitive literacy, mm-hmm. right? And the more doors you understand open you to the same places, the more deliberate and intentional you can be about your seeking. Mm-hmm. And the four trillion dollars is not saying woohoo, there's money to be made, or or, or anything else. Is to say, look, I mean, just people value financial metric. It's massive, mm-hmm. and the fact that we spend a huge proportion of that four trillion unconsciously, mm-hmm. counterproductively, addictively, distractingly, destructively, mm-hmm. which should give us rise to all be on the same side of this. Right. <laughs> Let's actually acknowledge there are deep and profound problems with the human condition as we experience it today, let's try and fix that. And one of the most potent overlooked tools is the ability to skillfully shift or modulate our states of consciousness. And all the research on trauma, all the research on learning and creativity, all the research on collaboration and innovation overwhelmingly suggests that 21st century normal, regular waking state, constantly stressed and distracted, consciousness is the wrong tool for the job. And that by learning to change the channel, Right, we can get further, faster. We can mend what's broken in us. We can get clear on what's in us to do: life purpose, life focus, you know, work in the world. Mm-hmm. And we can connect with others in powerful ways to collaborate around getting it done. So, to me, like yeah. that's that's probably the biggest thing I would want to make sure people take from it. And mm-hmm. then ultimately, there's no escaping being human. It's hard. <laughs> and the idea, because I mean, people always get hooked on, oh, tell me more, tell me more. I want a little of that. Yeah. Like, yeah, maybe, maybe, but be careful because, because almost these, these experiences, for whatever reason, I don't presume to understand the deepest mechanism, but they seem to consist of you feeling whole and like a million bucks mm-hmm. and point out exactly where you're banged up and broken and still have work to do. And a lot of folks want to skim the cream. Folks like, I just want to hit that fun button. Let me go hit that fun button. And then I don't have a care in the world. And let me just forget it all. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit like Pinocchio on Pleasure Island. It's like, be careful. Because right? <laughs> that shit comes at a cost. And so the, it's the balance, right? It's the balance of um, I feel horrible and I can, I can revisit and release things that I might have just been guarding or protecting in my system. And I can also go back and do the work. So ultimately, I would say it's the, it's the stoicism. It's like it's, it's like ecstasis plus catharsis equals catharsis. You know, the peak experience of ecstasis plus the profound healing and integrating catharsis, like the sort of you know whatever sobbing, racking, release equals gnosis equals abiding experiences of something more. And a lot of people just try and poach the first one. Balance mm-hmm. the Yeah, I really like what you said there about you know seeking and and you know we talk a lot about arming ourselves and our listeners with different tools in our toolbox to achieve, you know, whatever it is that we're trying to achieve. And I I think that's something that you just kind of touched on where, uh, I mean, you just, you said it so well. Um, Yeah, well, I mean, mean, the biohackers, I've got, you know, uh, a ton of, a ton of love and respect and appreciation for everybody in this space and a huge fucking caution as well, which is like, get over ourselves. Just get over our goddamn selves. And I gave this talk to a superhero you right before Dave Ashby. It's like, okay, so now you're bulletproof. Like, w- what bullets are you going to step in front of on yeah. whose behalf? Yeah. You know, because the endless wanking 
about which stack I'm going to do. And do you like Siltech or do you like this or that? Or I'm on ProVigil. It's like, shut the fuck up and get back to living. Because ultimately, none of this stuff matters a damn. And you're all just being sold a lot of really expensive supplements by an entire complicit industry that is just flogging the promise of optimization and shortcuts. And there are no fucking shortcuts. Being a human being is a son of a bitch and it requires guts and balls and backbone. And if you don't have a point for all of this, you're just wasting your time and your money. And, and Chogyam Trungpa, the Tibetan teacher, you know, he, he coined the term spiritual materialism. He's like, look, guys, don't get so wrapped around your goddamn axle. But the very practices and techniques you're using to dissolve your ego just further entrench it. That's why you get so many stuck-up yoga bitches. It's why all those baby boomers that come to Esalen are just such uptight fuckballs. You know? Yeah. Get over yourselves. We all need to get over ourselves. And we don't need to be perfect, and we don't need to be optimized, and we don't need to be happy. We need to be just good enough to remember what we forgot to remember why we're here and then go help the least of my brothers, the least of my sisters, find a garden, carry a bag, be a decent person, right? There's work to be done. And, and a lot of this is just a bourgeois luxury. A lot of folks are now using a cop out and doing the hunt. So, so for those folks, how can they make that progress or that transformation, that shift? How can they do you have any advice or tips for people that may hear that? They, they, that might like be a slap in the face and they might say, oh, shit, I've been that guy, right? Or, or that's me. Like, in a totally loving slap in the face. Right, right. It's, it's the sense of, um, I mean, none of this is complicated. It's literally like hashtag do the obvious. Do the obvious, you know? Right. If you want optimal focus and consciousness and performance, sleep more. Mm-hmm. Move often. Mm-hmm. Be grateful. Right, live as close to sunlight in every literal and metaphorical way as possible. Yeah, you know, and then go do stuff. So, so really, it's 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 the sense that um, all we, we don't need to be perfect. There is no, there is no, there is no promise. And the idea that like <laughs> that if I just wait and I just get one more tip or hack or listicle or or, or download or supplement, then Something miraculous in the near future or distant future is going to happen. I mean, no, it's not. It's the best. Right. Okay. And so that's it. I would just say, you know, be kind. <laughs> Stay awake, build stuff, is, is my own <laughs> my own experience. Stay the fuck awake and go do stuff. Put a dent in 3D matter and reality. Move some atoms around. I love it. I love it. Um, all right. So, so here's something else you guys talk about in the book. Um, you, you, you talk about creativity and that... Um, you know, for a long time, we've been trying to, to train that or teach that as a skill. And you guys make the point that it's not a skill. It's a state of mind. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean literally that, right? I mean, we went through the Red Bull Creativity Project and it's massive data analysis. It was like 40,000 academic journals and all this kind of stuff. It was rendered in this amazingly cool uh, quiz. Quid.com, these guys are like badass um, Cambridge University quants got their start analyzing like insurgent movements in Iraq and Afghanistan based on social media feeds mm-hmm. and, and, and news tippers. But they have this crazy 3D data visualization model and they put it all into creativity like and, and Andy Walsh, Dr. Andy Walsh at, at Red Bull uh, was the conceiver and lead on the project. It's like, look, we want to be like, we can crack creativity. We can crack anything. So let's do the hardest one first. And 
in that increase, you know, it almost looked like a, like a giant global brain as far as the data map. And, and, and in it, there was basically two giant empty spots. And one was um, application and training. So, like, creativity was clear, needed for pretty much everything. If anybody can Google data. So, like, for me to be a subject matter expert is irrelevant. For me to know how to think and solve complex problems is essential. And the ability to solve a wicked problem, which is what research is called the complex unbounded one. So it's not like just, you know, two plus two equals, what is it, what is it? It's always four and it's always the same. It's, it's traffic, you know, or, or, or war. I mean, the, the classic you know, example of warfare is what happened in, in Iraq in the last decade, right? The better the U.S. forces got at shutting down the insurgents, the Darwinian selection meant that only the smart, cunning little fuckers were left. <laughs> and those guys propagated new and different techniques and new and different techniques. So by stamping out all the low-lying ones, you actually create super strains. It's like antibiotics, mm -hmm. right? The same with traffic. You add another lane, and pretty soon people start changing their morning routes to, you know, to work because there's now that road is faster, and then suddenly you got more traffic. So those are wicked problems. Wicked problems require moving beyond singular binary solutions into complex multivariable perspectives. And you don't, you cannot hold the complex multivariable perspective in 21st century normal waking state consciousness where I am me behind my eyes. I have one browser window open and I presume it's exclusively unilaterally true. So for creative, complex, ambiguous problem solving against wicked problems, you need to shift your state. You need to be able to shift it to a place where you are close. A singular perspective, you're able to hold multiple browser windows. You have recognized thesis antithesis, push towards synthesis, right? And, and, and Roger Martin at, at Rottenburn Business School up in Canada had a great book on it called The Opposable Mind. Um, and, and it's exactly that. It's just like, can, how many browser windows can you hold open without crashing your system? And cultivating state awareness, whether it's a Vipassana the nine day retreat, whether it's biofeedback. Right, whether it's a psychedelic experience in an fMRI machine, and you know all the research points in similar directions, which is those non-ordinary states of brain function and cognition tend to yield consistently better, more established, and validated insights. And this is like patentable breakthroughs. It's not like, oh, gee, I just realized we're all one. The universe is just made up of energy. You know, like none of that stuff. I mean, like literal, like, oh, I just solved a complex algorithmic issue, or here's a real-world engineering challenge. And those kind of breakthroughs. So that's fundamentally it. It's like stop trying to force creativity as something that comes out of a Dilbert cartoon on a whiteboard, you know, and actually start cultivating states of awareness where those connections in a gestalt, non-directive way can actually show up for a run. It's beautiful. Um, so, and here's something, this, this is actually a question I'm, I'm glad that uh, we get to ask you because um, uh, our team went bowling uh, last Saturday. This is I, this is going somewhere. Stay with me on this one. But our team went bowling together, and um, after a few games, I, I felt unbalanced, physically unbalanced. And this this may be less about stealing fire and more about uh, flow uh, or, or some of that stuff. But um, and and kind of the, the neurobiology of all this. But um, I felt unbalanced, and and I it's almost like if you just swung a golf club right-handed a hundred times and you're like, man, I would really just like to swing it a hundred times left-handed to feel balanced. So I actually bowled left-handed a few times to, to try to fix that balance. And on, on the very first roll left-handed, I got a strike <laughs> and every, everybody was like, Oh, that's, you know, bullshit. What the hell's going on? The next bowl I got, I knocked down nine pins leaving one. And on the second roll, 
that one pin was like way in the corner, like, you know, a pretty hard one to hit without throwing it in the gutter and left-handed, I knocked it down. And they're like, you know, everybody's, you know, what the hell? This is, this is bullshit. You're a freak, whatever. And, and I'm saying, you know, look, like my argument to them, and this is why I'm bringing it up. I, I want to get your opinion on this is, you know, I don't think I'm anything special. I don't think I'm a freak because I can do that. The reason that I think I can do that is because I've spent the last 10 or 12 years of my life training and, and learning and teaching my body to you know, be able to do these things, to develop that kinesthetic awareness, that mind-muscle connection, and, and all this stuff, and you know, I've I've trained my body to to be able to do that in my mind, and I think anybody can develop those skills. I think we all as humans can do things like that, and you know, they say, oh no, like you're just a good athlete or you're a freak. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, you know, obviously it, it's going to depend, right? I mean, there's, there's a healthy dose of nature and nurture, and then obviously mindfulness in the moment, you know? And mm-hmm. it's neat. Like, in fact, there, there, there's some interesting studies that show that oftentimes, like, our dominant hand or foot is not our most proprioceptively aware limb. Mm-hmm. In fact, sometimes we have finer motor control and sensitivity in our, in our non-dominant hand or, or foot. And so, you know, A, there's that. You were potentially tuning into that. B, as you said, you've been training your body and I'm imagining, I don't know what, what you do to physically train, but I'm imagining this crossing the midline and kind of some asymmetrical stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you're not just pushing, pushing Olympic bars and that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. That's accurate. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. So you've, you've probably been conditioning those neural pathways and training them up in a way that your average zoo animal isn't, you know? <laughs> um, right. And, and, and so, and so that's awesome. I mean, that, you know, and, and I think the idea is what can we do? Is it possible? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we are capable of much more than things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, even there's a Japanese <coughs> the, you know, target sports like bowling, like darts, like archery are great for them mm-hmm. to get such clear feedback on the awesome thing that they come from. Right. Action, tension and my action in the world seamless and accurate. And the entire Japanese um, art of, of Zen archery. Mm-hmm. And they play they play these crazy little eight touch with those if you ever see those ones. Like and, and it's the entire method and process. I mean, where it goes on the target, which is also no you know, not squint an eye and aim through a through a sight or anything like that. It's purely instinctual archery. Um, that 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 is a meditation in itself. So you just brought it you just brought it down to the bubble land, you know, into the land of the, the dude. <laughs> right, and, right. And the little dude's in. Um, okay. Well, and that's a it's a it's a raging debate because we also went snowboarding um, a few maybe a month ago, and and I I don't I didn't know I mean I've been before but I don't know if I'm regular or goofy and I actually go I can go either foot forward, and and again that kind of played into that argument of you know my training and and ability and, and all that and and again I don't think I'm anything special I think it's just the fact that I've been using this that I I do play with. Uh, altered states and you know can can kind of get into the zone and, and do that stuff so um you know yeah. the, the whole point there is that i think anybody can do this stuff and you know if you tune into these higher states and, and train your brain train your body that you can do anything yeah i mean you know when we would teach people for whitewater kayaking you know and everyone would say oh you've got an onside role so when you learn to do the eskimo role where your boat's flipped upside down and you're still in it you know with your paddle around, there's one that's natural, just like being regular goofy on a snowboard. And we would always tell tell kids like, just like take that word onside and offside out of your vocabulary. Mm-hmm. It's going to train both sides and overtrain your initially weaker side. Mm-hmm. So it's 
completely indistinguishable and then get over it because the last thing you want going down some cold, snowy, not snow melt river is <laughs> like, oh no, I'm on my side. Right, exactly. Train them both. Exactly. Everything's going to be more pleasant. Yeah, I mean, sport in life is, is chaotic. You need to be able to to adapt and be anti-fragile. So. Same the same with soccer taking penalty kicks or anything like that. I mean, you know, elite elite performers in any of these things are trained out in, you know, uh, asymmetry. Yeah. So you might as well just start now. This is having a big number of walks. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so, so in the book, you guys talk about uh, ecstasis and, and how the SEALs use that um, on their missions, um, how they're able to kind of get into group flow, if you will. Um, question I have for you is, you know, uh, we, we want to present our listeners with as much actionable and implementable information as possible. So, you know, if, if somebody listening isn't part of a small organization or a group or a team, you know, how can they build more uh, ecstasis or, or flow into their life? What would be your guidelines or recommendations? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the simplest is, you know, the kind of stuff we do in our initial trainings, flow fundamentals. It's six weeks and it's, you know, create an hour a day where, you know, not all at once, but in three to five to 15 minute chunks where you are doing the things we just talked about, which is plan and protect your focus. Um, you know, pay attention to your sleep, rest and recovery. Um, move intelligently. Um, you know, it, you know, eliminate distractions. Basically, if we as human beings are aligned and vitalized and not actively distracted, good stuff tends to happen, including a fuller range of conscious experience. So, you know, at a high level, it's, you know, you want to get rid of distress, which is kind of like mm-hmm. fibrillating, a hot fibrillating, you know, like mm-hmm. where in the TV shows, they, they do the paddles and that kind of stuff. <laughs> right. Um, because it's not in people, you know, most people who don't know medicine assume that, oh, that's when someone's heart stopped and they're putting the paddles on it to start their heart again. That's not it. It's the exact opposite, right? It's that somebody's heart is just, it's gone from nice, healthy contractions and expansions to just quivering. And the paddles are actually to stop your heart. And then it naturally kicks in again to a proper rhythm. So most of us these days, our nervous systems are just whacked and overtaxed. And we're in that fibrillating stage. Constant stress. Don't know whether to shoot or go blind, right? Don't sleep well. Always checking my phone, driving, distracted, all that kind of stuff. So what we're trying to do is get rid of that band. And those are just choices. Those are decisions we have to make or it'll crowd our space. Okay? Just hog our bandwidth. And then get deep recovery, deep active recovery. And that's the movement, rest, hydration, good nutrition, mm-hmm. good relationships. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Then seek do stress. Seek the actual peak challenges. Just like being in a gym and breaking down muscle in order for it to go back stronger, you stress is healthy stress in our system. So clear out the distress, clear out the clutter and the noise, experience the extremes. You want more, you want more range in our lived experience. So rather than just me always scrolling, thumb scrolling, staring at screens until I go unconscious and I wake up and I'm not, I'm not into the bathroom yet and I'm back on my screen doing the same thing, right? That's a very low band, bandwidth. Mm-hmm. Go with complete silence. Go with complete solitude. Go with deep rest and relaxation. And then go with a uh, marathon or an adventure in a jungle. <laughs> you know, yep. be mindful. You know, like like seek experiences that provide novelty, risk, embodiment, contrast. And you know, and don't die wondering. You know, if you're, there's some part of you that's like, "Geez, I wish there was more to life. I just don't really see it or believe it." Go do it. I mean, <laughs> there's there's enough ways to blow yourself sky high these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no one should be under there's more to it than just the daily ground. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I love it. Um, so then, uh, I guess 
kind of building on that, like what's what's the biggest mistake that, that you guys have seen people make when they try to build more flow or ecstasis into their life? I mean, you guys, uh, you, you have a huge sample size with Flow Genome Project. I mean, I would say overwhelmingly. And it's actually, it's less the folks that we're training with, and it might just be because we're constantly warning against it or mm -hmm. some interesting self-selection process. Mm -hmm. um, the folks that we are experiencing seem to be pretty focused, pretty dedicated, and, and, and interested. But I mean, the one we see broadly is the coming bliss challenge. Um, the idea that this is awesome. I'd like to do it as much as possible. I make all kinds of trade-offs. I become state chasing. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll go to the next show. I'll pop the next pill. I'll, I'll, I'll have a sexual partner. I'll do whatever it is just to keep it all going. And I, and I neglect or avoid the actual core hard work. And those, you know, that's the biggest one because there is no skipping steps and you can't skip. Um, you know, these states give us insights and information and the obligation is to act on them and do our homework. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you know, there's a, there's a phrase in uh, psychedelic research called like the hyperslap. And the hyperslap is when someone just tries to go back to that state, they take extra chemicals, they do whatever they're going to do, they find themselves in a non-ordinary state but they haven't actually done their homework in the last time. And, and it sucks. And you get the beat. Yep. And, yep. and that's you know, and that's I think that's no different than someone who's fighting an MMA, fighting an MMA and neglects to train and shows up in the ring. Yep. You know, like when you show up in the ring for the next time, you need to have training. Yep. And, if, and and that's the biggest one. It's just people that, that these things are so easy to get access to these days mm -hmm. that a lot of people are cheating access. It's not. I don't have to learn to be a monk. Learn ethics and morals and responsibility and service and humility and all these things for twenty years before I get a glimpse. Right, I can go to Electric Daisy Carnival, right, and boom, I'm having some wild ass experience that I didn't plan at all. Right. But I think that's the biggest one is people shortcutting the process and not doing the development of the organization. All right. So speaking of doing the work and, and learning and earning it, um, I know you mentioned flow fundamentals. Um, what's what's the website for that? And and is it possible maybe we can do a discount for our listeners if they wanted to sign up? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you, you can do a hundred dollar discount. I mean, it's a, I think the program is 697 bucks. I think, we, you know, I'm happy to just like knock that down, um, for your guys crew. I just want more to the point to tell you about the program. Yeah. Go to slowgenomeproject.com mm -hmm. and it's under the train tab. Okay. So everything is encoded in that. There's points, daily systems, social stuff, the ability to talk and communicate with us as coaches. You can even jack in your own biometric stuff. So if you're using Fitbits or music or other things, those mm -hmm. can be imported and adjusted. And we just finished this month a an academically validated study on like, does this work, right? Like what does an hour a day, you know, over six weeks via an app do for you or not? Um, and it was a 71% increase in flow focus. That's amazing. Pretty pretty stunning. Yeah. As far as far as bang for buck, uh, now obviously there's way more fun stuff that we get to do as well. We just finished a flow alpine training with a bunch of pro skiers in Utah, and we used to backcountry avalanche training, all that kind of stuff. Because that's my sweet spot. Like I love to go out and do stuff. Yeah. I just in saltwater fly fishing, backcountry ski diving, those kind of things. But to me, that's all. That's just that much more real. We're not talking about it. We're like, do it, do it, right? But as far as basics, as far as going from white belt to yellow belt, hell yeah, flow fundamentals is the place to start. Okay. And then uh, you've got the, the Pyros group as well for uh, Stealing Fire? 
Yeah, it's been amazing. I mean, um, so you know, our book is called Stealing Fire. So we figured, you know, if Lady Gaga has her little monsters, like we should have our pirates. We should have our total ground team. It's just, you know, no pun or I'm fired up the house and really like it without too low. And so, yeah, there's over 1,500 people that have signed up and said, we're in, and we, we're going to do everything we can to get this to our friends, to our families, to our communities and organizations. And uh, that is available. We can have a about this. At a minimum, you can find us on Facebook. The uh, entry ticket is a photo scan of your book purchase. And then you're in, and that's daily Facebook Lives with the group, first look at all kinds of content, uh, and then the first invitation of our live event. That's beautiful. So um, for you guys listening, I'll put links to both of those on the blog post for this show. And that'll be at naturalstacks.com. Go to the blog for this. We'll have those links for you. Um, is, is there a code? Can we just do like natural stacks as the code for the flow fundamentals discount? Yeah, in fact, I think right now, um, we have it all it all flows in together. So if okay. you guys join the pyros, you'll have an opportunity right there uh, mm-hmm. to get the discount. Okay, beautiful. Beautiful. Um, anywhere else that you would want to send folks to follow you guys, learn more? I mean, I think flowgenomeproject.com is long-term. Okay. Stealingfirebook.com is immediate. Okay. And, uh, you know, and fingers crossed, I mean, this book has gone huge in its first week. Yeah. Um, everything from national press on NBC, uh, LinkedIn, Weekend, Market Watch, Business Week, all, Entrepreneur Magazine, all kinds of good places. And, it really is the chance to basically have this book be the next tipping point, um, but just with way cooler case studies than Hush Puppies. <laughs> hey, you guys have done a great job with the book. And, and, you know, I guess there's another question right there. I mean, you guys left no stone unturned. You looked at it from almost every single perspective. Do you think that you were able to do that because you consistently pulled out and kind of were able to get a different perspective and widen your lens with your own um, non-normal states of consciousness. Oh, for sure. I mean, I mean, the bottom line is, is this book is this book is a stepping stone in the middle of the river, and the far side is where it's fun to hang out. And so this this was a <laughs> retrospective, like, hey, okay, what's the scaffolding? What's the bridge building that needs to be done? What's incredible waking state chase that needs to be made to give enough people permission uh, to hop that river and come check out the far shore? So that's my next book, Recapture the Rapture. Uh, end of times for stellar minds. It's going to be a full-on how-to. Uh, we get into the how-to in a tiny bit in the last chapter, chapter ten, mm-hmm. which is basically just here's how not to blow yourself up. <laughs> but the actual details of what happens once you get good at applying some of these tools. Mm-hmm. That's that's the next book, but uh, that's certainly where the mission. Easter eggs for the savvy voyagers already paper. Nice, nice. Um, can't wait to see the new one. Jamie, before we let you go, um, final question is one that every guest has to answer. We want to know your top three tips to live optimal. Huh. Interesting. Okay. I would say, I mean, I, I think I probably already covered them. It's, it's fundamentally, um, I mean, I think relationships is the first one that comes up for me. Um, you know, be right in the relationships with the people closest to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a few things more important. There's obviously tons of psych research on that happiness and fulfillment, blah, blah, blah. But like, be good to the people you love. Um, the other, I would say, is, is yeah, live close to sunlight. Uh, and that means in the food sources, that means in literally getting our asses outside, being wild and natural places. Um, and, and, and also just in our general orientation. Um, and 
And I would say probably, you know, like, don't, I mean, what, what would I say? Be ballsy. You know, it's that old Shakespeare thing with Julius Caesar, you know, a coward dies a thousand deaths, hero is but one. So find that day. Until that day, we're immortal. So live fearlessly. Might, that might be the best top three that we've ever had on the show. <laughs> that was well done. Jamie, I can't thank you enough for your time. Um, for you guys listening, I, I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have. Uh, again, go to naturalstacks.com. You'll be able to see the blog post for this. Uh, we'll have the links where you can follow up, get the book, both books, um, the, the Flow Genome Project, all that good stuff. Um, and please go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. If we read your review on the air, we will hook you up with free product. And we will catch you guys next Thursday. Jamie, thank you so much. Cheers, man.